Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Tuesday night in the Mile High City. James Merrill Will Peterson rolling with you for the next hour. Do you make it like a foot taller today? I don't know, but the way you're sitting, I feel like I got a foot shorter. I know, but what did he do with this microphone, dude? You're taller than me. So when you come in and sit in D-Max's seat and I sit in Derek Wolf's seat, I feel like I'm at the little kid's table. Yeah, but Darren, like, grew... He went from 5'6 to 6'6". I don't know how I'm supposed to pull this off. Is he cool with the Darren thing, by the way? I've never I don't figured know. that out. You, you're about the only one I ever hear him call him that. Oh, Stoke does it when he's upset with him. <laughs> like mom and dad calling you by your full name when you're in trouble. Were you William when you were in trouble? Oh, yeah. I could, I could oh, definitely yeah. see that. William Harold. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, I, uh, what's the, is there a good James if you're mad at James? That's why I'm just the full name. I was always in trouble. Yeah, you're not Jim? Nope. Jimmy? Never was good enough to be Jim or Jimmy, Jimbo. Jimbo. None of that. Oh, man. All right, James. It was a fun day um, because we got to hear from Greg Penner and Damani Leach down at Arizona at the league's annual owners meetings. God, I can't say that. It's all kind of plural. But also, um, so much to discuss about last night as well because a lot of drama around the Nuggets and the Joel Embiid situation. The Avs get another good win. Do you want to start with the what we learned from the powers that be of the Broncos? Or I could tell you kind of got an itch. You need to you need to talk about your guy Michael Malone and what happened down the stretch for the Nuggets. Yeah, let's talk about uh, you know. Well, let's let's work in chronological order here. There you go. So Nuggets and Abs would be first. That's why I gave you that option because I knew. Appreciate it. I heard you on the driving, and I gotta say, you did convince DMac of your point, and so that's impressive. You convinced DMac. In the course of that conversation, about uh, I don't know, fifty minutes ago on these airwaves, that Michael Malone straight up forgot to put Aaron Gordon back in the basketball game. He one hundred percent forgot to put him back in the game, and I that's a it. strong accusation. Uh, okay, and I, and I don't think you're wrong. That's Thank how you. I'll frame it. And, and I knew it watching the game because they're showing, you know, as the game ends, they show the the bench and everybody's celebrating and people doing handshakes and there's. Always the coaches, right? There's always Malone giving the wave. Last night it was to Doc. Eh, you know, good game, that kind of thing. They don't go shake hands. They just wave at each other from 50 feet apart. And he immediately went to Aaron Gordon and was talking to AG. And it was a – you could just tell from his body language it was a, a po- apologetic type of a conversation. You could just tell. It wasn't a pat him on the backside, great game, big win. Now we're rolling. It was a lengthy conversation. Aaron Gordon was fine. He almost looked like, why are you Why are you apologizing to me? Why are you talking? Like, we won. It's good. I'm, yeah. Everything's fine. But you could tell that he was apologizing for not putting him back in the game. I think to some extent, and I'll give Michael Malone credit for this, he learned from the Michael Porter Jr. situation a couple of weeks ago where it's like he didn't feel like he owed anybody an explanation for anything. And last night, he first and foremost went to the player. I do think that also could be the way he relates and the way he respects one guy versus the other. If the situation was reversed, I don't know that he'd have gone to Michael Porter Jr. last night and said, MPJ, sorry, I forgot to put you back in the game. That's on me. Then he comes out in his post-game press conference and all but admits it. 
except for trying to explain it away. Well, you know, he'd been sitting for a while. I didn't want to risk injury and put him back in. He put Jamal Murray back in unplanned, right? Jamal was done for the night to the point where it, Jamal was laughing. It almost looked like Jamal had to put his shoes back on and tie him because he thought his night was over. I mean, you're up 20 with six minutes left. I think everyone thought their night was over. Right, and it, it was. It, there was a pretty decent stretch where we're like, why is Jokic still in the game? And then the lead just kept getting chipped away, chipped away, chipped away to some extent. So four starters come back in, everybody but AG. Jeff Green stays in the game, and I know he hit the two free throws that ultimately iced it, but he was the number one reason that lead got chipped away. He missed a dunk. He missed some shots. I mean, it was just it was painful. Even the the two free throws he got, he shouldn't have gotten them because his foot was out of bounds. So it should have been another Jeff Green blunder gave the Sixers the ball down three in the final seconds, and it was all because Michael Malone forgot to put Aaron Gordon back in the game. That's what happened. So he was playing the four starters with Jeff Green as opposed to just the five starters with Aaron yeah, Gordon. because there's no reason, there's no logical reason where he would have been standing there on the sideline and been like, oh, okay, got to get uh, MPJ, get back in there. Oh, all right, uh, we're going to st- stick with Jokic. Uh, Jamal, get back in there. And then would have thought, but I'm sticking with Jeff because uh, AG's been sitting over here too long. He didn't sit any longer than anybody else. He didn't sit any longer than he normally would sit. It's just not that complicated of a sport. There's only five, five guys on the floor. How can he, he's not responsible for all 10. He's only responsible for half of the 10. How can he count one, two, three, four, five and not register, hey, my five, that's not the right five. I need to change out him for him, which in this case would be Jeff Green for Aaron Gordon. He, he said it in his post-game press conference. He was talking about his team, but I think he's he really should have been talking about himself. They just shut it off. They were just in coast mode. And I, I don't think he just was engaged in what was going on. And it's also not the first time. He essentially did the same thing with Michael Porter Jr. back when that incident happened. You're talking about March 12th against the Brooklyn Nets yes. when they lost by two. Yes. And he did eventually put MPJ to the scores table, but that would have been a full 12 minutes, a full quarter, where he would have sat on the bench and then... It was, okay, there was an and one, and Christian Brown made a nice play, so come on back and sit down. But he forgot for, it wasn't the full 12 minutes, but he forgot at least for four, three or four minutes to put him back in the game because he should sit for eight or nine. You don't sit for 12 minutes. That's an entire quarter's worth of basketball. This is not a new thing for Michael Malone. It's happened over and over and over again. It's why I'm my number one concern for this team in the playoffs is their head coach because he literally forgot to put in his fourth best player last night, one of his starters, as their lead dwindled. So second time in, let's call it, 16 days that Malone has left a starter on the bench for a perplexing amount of time. You mentioned the first time the excuse was, I benched Michael Porter Jr. He was benched. It was my decision. Whereas last night, there was more accountability in his voice. Let's go ahead and take a listen. It wasn't Jeff over AG. You know, it was, uh, that's on me. I already told Aaron. Uh, we were up. I never thought that that game was going to go to a one-possession game. I thought it was an opportunity to, uh, as the game was in hand with six minutes to go, I said, all right, maybe I don't have to get Aaron back out there. And then all of a sudden with three, four minutes to go, it's a game, and he's been sitting so long, I just didn't think it was fair to put him out there. But uh, that was a poor coaching decision on my part. Poor coaching decision is how he closes the answer. Very interesting from Michael Malone because, James, you're talking about the tone, right? The tone on March 12th after a loss to Brooklyn was, 
Michael Border Jr. didn't play well. He didn't deserve to be back in the Which game. Which was ridiculous because he, he, he had played 23 really well. points in 22 minutes. And then the tone on March 27th is, yeah, that's probably poor coaching on my part because I never thought it was going to get that close. So that's why I apologize to AG for having Jeff Green over and him. I think I think there's two ways to look at it. First of all, the fact it happened again is concerning. And I know you've harped on that, the, the playoffs saying, hey, this happens in the regular season. We can talk about it, whatever. This happens in Game 7, James, and it ends their season. That's going to be a massive, massing, to- massive talking point, like a could it cost Coach Malone his job type talking point. I think the other way to look at it is, you know what? At least he took some accountability last night and didn't double down on blaming the player or or coming up with an excuse. He called it bad coaching after the game. Maybe that's the kind of thing the next time there's five minutes left, his brain will register and tick I got to get the right five guys out there because I cannot let this happen a third time. Maybe, and, and let's hope so, right? Because we all learn in life. Sure, I'm and, thinking and, it's a learning experience. And if you made a mistake, own it, admit it. That's great. Last time around, he tried CYA, and it just created a problem. Exactly. Um, and so either he and, and he handled this one differently. So either he learned from that, which is good, or there also is the possibility it's a different player. It wasn't the same guy. So we don't know. There's a different. There's another variable in here. Had it been MPJ last night again, well, yeah, that's a different story. It's like, oh my gosh, this happened twice with the same guy. But then we could have said, yes, he did learn his mistake. He owned it. This could just be he's treating Aaron Gordon different than he's treating Michael Porter Jr., which would be very apropos for Michael Malone. But how much time do you think was left in the game when Jamal Murray got put back in? Uh. 90 seconds. No, it was more than that. It was 340. Okay. But still, to say, ah, I didn't think I needed to put Aaron Gordon back in with four or five minutes left. Well, you put Jamal Murray back in, a guy who has been number one on the team, right. understandably so, in load management, the one guy you should be careful about putting back in a game that's a double-digit game at that point. Like, it was still 13 at that point. Why did he put him back in? So your point is kind of all or nothing. Either let the bench ride it out because you're convinced you're still coasting to a win or just get everyone back in because we're going to we're gonna cut this off at the source and we're going to win this game comfortably 10, 12, 15 points. You didn't like the idea of, well, I'm going to stagger some starters back in with some bench. You wanted him to commit one way or another. I just don't buy his story based on the fact that he didn't commit one way or another. It doesn't right. add up. It doesn't add up that he would stand there and be like, you know what, I should get Jamal back in, but I don't need to get A.G. back in because I'm worried about A.G. getting hurt. He's been sitting a while, but I'm not worried about Jamal getting hurt. Like, that makes no sense. It just, you can't tell me 2 plus 2 is 6, and I'm going to go, okay, coach, thanks, that makes sense. It doesn't. It just doesn't add up. So he just forgot to put him back in. That's why he immediately, as soon as he saw Aaron Gordon... After the something clicked, it clicked, and he went over and literally he waved at Doc Rivers and made a beeline to Aaron Gordon and talked to him as they walked off the court. And you could tell from the tone I tweeted it that he was apologizing to him. And lo and behold, he uh, behold he admitted it in the post game press conference. Look, they won the game. I understand that, but to just gloss over a uh, just a glaring coaching error, like a junior high coaching error. Because you won, I think is silly. I think that's that's a huge red flag heading into the playoffs where it's all about in-game management, right? There are two things to me that coaches make, well, three, in the playoffs. One, in between games, and Phil Jackson was the best at this, of using the post-game press conference to lobby the officials. I think it's from one game to the next making adjustments. 
The best example of this is when the Nuggets were the three seed, they were playing the Warriors before the Warriors were the Warriors, right? And the, the and Golden State's big man gets hurt in game one. Mark Jackson decides, all right, well, I guess we'll go small in game two. I believe that was David Lee. Right, yes. David Lee. Yep. Exactly right. He gets injured, so they go small. That turns into the the uh, the springboard for what became a, a dynasty. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And George Carl didn't have a response to it. George Carl actually tried to match the small lineup as opposed to saying, no, no, we still have our center. We're going to stick with them, and we're going to make them adjust to what we like. It, it's, it's that kind of chess game. Well, and I'll just rewind on that real quick. There was speculation if they lost that series that Steph Curry was going to be on the trade market. He probably would have been. So it's a massive what-if moment in NBA history that the Warriors dynasty is never born if the Nuggets take care of business in that series. I remember they lost game one and then or, or maybe Nuggets they won, won game, game one and then lost game two. You're right. Yeah. yeah. They, but they, they, they came back here down 3-1. They got it to 3-2 and then they had a golden opportunity to win game six up in uh, San Francisco, Oakland, whatever it is, and couldn't get it done. Correct. But, yeah, they were up 1-0. They had game two here, and everybody thought the Nuggets were going to roll because David Lee got injured. And what are they going to be able to do? They don't have a backup center. And Mark Jackson had an adjustment, and the Nuggets couldn't figure out how to deal with it. So that's over. That's from one game to the next. Then you have just a bunch of micro versions of that during a game. Michael Malone last year against Golden State, I get it. They would have lost that series no matter what. But to play five games exactly the same way, and just after the series, just gripe and complain that you don't have enough perimeter defenders? Like, try something different. Yeah, he was also playing with Austin Rivers and Faku and Jeff Green. I get it. And, like, but that what team is, was just depleted. What is the This weak- team is so much better than that team. 100%. But what is the weakness of Golden State? They don't have a big man. So I would have played, I would have gone big and seen, at least seen, how Golden State deals with it. And Jokic and Boogie on the court at the same time. Yeah. And you know what? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least you tried something different as opposed to five games of doing the exact same thing and you lose 4-1. You go back to the Phoenix series when they got swept the year before. No adjustments, nothing different, other than calling out your team after game two and saying they quit, which is a that's a big accusation for a coach to throw out there. It is. This is why I'm concerned heading into the playoffs. They have a championship-caliber roster. They have a head coach who forgets to put in one of his best players as his lead just dwindles. All right, there is plenty other parts of this game to unpack. And I, you know what, I'll give you the W there. I tend to agree with you. You convince D-Mac as well that he just forgot to put AG back in. But there is plenty of other positives outside of the last six minutes. I mean, frankly, we should have been coming in here today talking about a 25-point win because Nikola Jokic goes for 25-17-12. and 12. Uh, he was dominant, 8 of 11 from the four. I understand some people in my Twitter mentions, ah, Jokic needs to do more down the stretch. I don't really pin that on Jokic as much as I do the coaching, which, again, we don't have to beat a dead horse on. But I do think, James, for Embiid to sit and then Jokic to come have the game he had, it sort of, uh, I guess, proves what you and I thought last night, that the pendulum was starting to swing back toward Jokic. They needed to win. He needed to have a big night. And now it's totally back towards Jokic. He probably will win his third straight MVP. Yeah, I think it's his to lose at this point. Now, the Nuggets have a pretty tough finishing schedule, right? They've got the Pelicans tomorrow night. I believe Friday night they're in Phoenix. They are. That should be a Kevin Durant game. It will be. Uh, so that won't be easy. They've got Golden State and, and on the Nuggets schedule. And the Nuggets could manage lo- their lo- the load that night of guys because, listen, 
if you go for it against the Pelicans on Thursday and you basically have the one seed wrapped up, couldn't you see them just taking a night off in Phoenix? Sure, sure. And then you've got, I don't know exactly the dates, but you've got Golden State on the schedule. They've got a lot of playoff teams that are uh, still to go here in the final seven. So Jokic is going to have to play well. They're going to have to win some games. If they go two and five down the stretch and Philly turns around and goes seven and zero oh, hypothetically, yeah, that could change things. But I think unless it's something like that where Embiid has a you know seven game stretch here where he averages right. forty a game, then I think it's I think it's Jokic's to 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 lose here, and I don't think he's going to lose it. The schedule wraps up: New Orleans, Phoenix, Golden State. At Houston, that's a dub. And then back to Phoenix. Man, they got to go to Phoenix twice in a week. Mm-hmm. And then at Utah, Utah may have a lot to play for there, trying to get in the play-in tournament. And then you wrap up with Sacramento at home on Sunday, April 9th. Hopefully by that point, I mean, you'd have to really collapse to make that game mean anything at all. You but only have one cupcake, though. It's at Houston. Yeah, but the way I'm looking at the schedule is you can get Jokic at least two nights off in this. What are the back-to-backs? Are there any in there? Yeah, it's the the one this week, the oh, Thursday, so the Friday. Game's Thursday. I thought it was tomorrow night. It's no, Thursday it's night. Thursday. That's why I was saying oh. they're going to load manage on Friday in Phoenix because it's very easy to get a gritty win against a. By the way, that Pelicans game, eight o'clock tip, TNT, Ball Arena. Yep. Then you got to get on a plane to Phoenix. I know that's not the longest flight, but you're going to land at two, three in the morning. Whatever. There, there's going to be a real temptation because you play Golden State here on Sunday. It's going to be a real temptation. I'm calling it now, James, to not even put Jokic, Murray, and Gordon on that airplane to Phoenix. I don't know that I would, and I hate load management. I do. But everybody's doing it, and if you're going to do it at all, then do it correctly. And that would be the game to just say, you know what? We don't need it, right? It's a team that you're probably going to be competing with at some point in the playoffs. Yeah, don't reveal your hand. Right. Let them go beat us by 40 in Durant's home debut or whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. It's one of the elite teams or will be one of the elite teams in the West come playoff time. You should be able to beat the Pelicans here on Thursday. Put on a good show on national TV. Let Jokic show all the voters back east what what he can continue to do night after night. Then come back. At 10 o'clock East Coast time, unfortunately. Then you come back here and you beat the Warriors at home on Sunday. Is that a national game? The one Sunday against the Warriors? Give me yeah. just a second here. I don't think it is. So, But if you win those, you win two out well, of three. A, it's NBA TV, which is fake national. It's sort of the same debate we had last yeah. night. So you win two out of three, though, because those two are at home. I mean, at that point, you've pretty much got the West wrapped up. With There's four games to play at that point. You'd, you'd be done. Yeah, and then just beat Houston because Houston stinks. It's over. It's over. I mean, realistically, James, today is Tuesday, March 28th. When we do this show on Tuesday, April 4th, we should be talking about tonight's the night the Nuggets clinch, clinch the one seat. That's the that, Houston game? Yeah, that's basically how the math will end up working. And, you know, you may need a game of help from Memphis, but there's no reason to think you won't beat New Orleans and Golden State here, particularly with how bad Golden State's been on the road. And ultimately, by that point, there's a chance you may not have to show your hand in Phoenix on Thursday, April 6th, which I think would be great. You want to go down to Phoenix twice in a week and have both games mean squat? Fine with me. No reason to go grind out a road win down in Phoenix when you're going to need one of those in round two. Yeah, and then you're just determining, hey, what do we do with the game at Utah and the game at home against Sacramento? Because you can't take the last three games off no, and then sit out for the play-in right. game, the play-in tournament. That'd be two weeks, essentially, without playing basketball. I think you then ramp up and play both those games legit. 
It's like the old NFL debate, right? Hey, we've got it, you know, when the old schedule, we've got it locked up week 16. We're the Colts. We're, we're 14 and 0. Or, well, they would go for it at that point, but whatever. 13 and 1. You know, and they, there was always that temptation. They wanted to sit Peyton Manning and then love Peyton Manning, but he had a habit of losing early in the playoffs. And I think every once in a while it was because they just had too much time off in between significant games. What is the, um, what is the current lead? In the West, it's got to be. It was. It'd been three and a half, four. So if there's three and a half up now, yeah, that would basically be the game you can clinch it. If you win your two home games, then you should be able to essentially clinch it when you go down to Houston. And yes, Memphis has won six in a row, but I mean, tip of the cap. If they win out the rest of the way, they'll probably give you one as well. Uh, some point in there, they have not been a good road team this year, and they still have to go to Milwaukee which Milwaukee will have a lot to play for. Memphis is still going down to New Orleans. They're red hot. Like, they're going to lose a game or two as well. Yeah, so, and that would be the game that would uh, would most likely put you over the top. So, yeah, that's how I would play it. I would take the Phoenix games off, and I would use Utah and Sacramento down the stretch to just be, okay, how do we just make sure we kind of keep a little bit of rhythm going here? You don't have to play 38 minutes, but you're probably going to play 25. Yep. And then you kind of go from there. But ultimately a shame that game got close last night. Oh, big time. Because it totally changed the narrative. We all felt great about that game after 42 minutes. And I know a win's a win, but you saw D-Max video of Malone. The reporters, he calls them the muggles, waited a half a second too long to ask their next question, and Malone was gone. He just said, all right, see ya, I'm off the podium. Because he was mad at himself, as we heard in his voice earlier in the segment. But also I think mad at his team, like, Guys, this should have been a celebratory night, and instead we're all just ticked off that those last six minutes were so so pathetic. Yeah, it made a, a win. That's as close as a win can feel to a loss. Right. Right, and because it's a game when you're and B's not playing and Harden's not playing, you should win that game by 20. They had it right there. All they had, the, the Sixers, had, Sixers had pulled their starters. Like They were playing the backups to the backups right. at that point, and they still let it get away from them. That is, I think Michael Malone was mad at two things. One, it's mad at himself because he knew he botched things down the stretch. And two, that's not a killer instinct. That's a team that, you know, hey, he had to yell at him on the road trip of, hey, we're in chill mode. Okay, they didn't have a killer instinct after they beat Memphis here and thought they had the West, the West wrapped up. And now last night again was another example of don't have a killer instinct. Okay, that's uh, that's another thing that when you're trying to get over the hump from a very good team to a great team to a championship caliber team, you got to have that. You have to have that. You have to have the ability to just slam the door. I did like how it was balanced last night, though, with Murray having 19, Bruce Brown off the bench with 18, MPJ with 15, Aaron Gordon with 12. It felt more of like, okay, this is the January-February Nuggets, not the March Nuggets that are so well-balanced, so many different threats. I did think that it, it to have Jokic play at an unbelievable level, triple-double, and then not only just have one guy helping him, have three, four, five guys helping him, that was encouraging because that was more Nuggets team basketball that got them such a big lead in the Western Conference. Yeah, and if you look back at that stretch where they, where they lose four out of five, where everyone panicked and gave Embiid the MVP... If, if you go through that, Bruce Brown was another guy. He's been really, really good all year, and he was really good last night. That was that stretch where it was one of the games he started one in t- one out of ten. He just wasn't playing particularly well, and it's unfair to blame it on Bruce Brown, but he is the guy off that bench 
that really can provide you some consistent scoring. Yes. And that was back when they were trying to see what they had in Bryant and trying to see what they had in Reggie Jackson. And when Bruce Brown wasn't able to put up any points off the bench, they had no ability to score. They had a little bit of that issue last night until he got going. When a, a pretty big early lead, they were up not quite 10, but pretty close to it. All of a sudden, you look up and it's like, how is this game 26 uh-huh. 26? It's because the second unit just couldn't score. Once he got going, that's what turned that around. Yeah. And it's kind of coincidental that Bruce Brown's slump came when they were trying to change the bench unit, right? Because it sort of came right after the trade deadline and yep. the additions. It's yep. like, all right, let's get back to what made Bruce Brown so good the first three months of the season. And Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant, they can have a courtside seat each night. Yeah. And it's been Christian Brown and Zeke Naji. Yep. And there's just a better team when those two guys come off the bench. They just are. Uh, Reggie Jackson, I know he's the local kid, and everybody wanted that to work out. It just isn't. Christian Brown's been better. And Zeke Najee, I know he's not as big, but he's just so much more athletic that I think he's just a, a far superior option backing up Jokic. All right, coming up next, Greg Penner, Broncos owner and CEO, meets with the media today in Phoenix. And he didn't utter Nathaniel Hackett's name, But you better believe he blamed Nathaniel Hackett. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. NFL owners meetings. I think I said it right that time. Wrapping up today down in Phoenix. Our own Andrew Mason was, of course, there and sent us this audio from Broncos CEO and owner Greg Penner. A lot of stadium stuff, James, but neither Damani Leach or Greg Penner, outside of saying they've toured a lot, which I think is good news, um, they're seeing their different options, neither one committal one way or another. Most of a lot of research looking at the survey far too early on the stadium. I guess we can start there uh, for, a, for a moment or two. That doesn't surprise me. But I also thought it wasn't – it was a good sign that neither one of them shot it down. It's like, oh, we're just doing this survey to check all the boxes, but we have no intent on building a new stadium. Neither one committed to building a new stadium, but if they really didn't want to, they could have gone the other direction and just said, hey, guys, we just did this survey to explore, and we're so happy with Empower Field at Mile High. We didn't hear that either. I took that as a good sign that a new stadium is in the works. I took it as they're squarely on the fence. Really? Yeah. So I'm a little more optimistic than you are. Which isn't a bad thing because at least it means they're still open to it. I I don't know that it's a project they look at and think, hey, we have to do this. Right? Like, I think if they get survey results back and most most fans are just thrilled to death with Empower Field, which I can't imagine they are, but maybe they are, right? Because you're only really worried about where do you park, where do you sit, what's the bathroom line like up at the top of your row or top of your aisle here. And so maybe you do like it. I think overall it's just a miss in terms of facility. I think if they get that, they may talk themselves into we're fine. We can just refurbish. We can just upgrade. We can just stick with this. I think if you're trying to build overall value of the franchise, Mm -hmm. building something like they have in L.A. with SoFi or building something like they have in Dallas with AT&T Stadium, yeah, that's the smarter business play in, in so many ways. So many ways. They've got the capital capital to do it. Excuse me. But like you said, um, non-committal one way or another. You think on the fence. I think it's leaning more towards it's going to happen, and they're just holding the cards 
close to the chest. I hope you're right. But we'll have to see how that shakes out. So that, uh, not a ton of news, but I thought the really interesting thing today was Greg Penner talking about Sean Payton thus far. And basically, I'll let you listen here, I think he kind of threw Nathaniel Hackett under the bus. Uh he immediately set a different tone coming into the coming into the building. Um, you know, I think as a head coach, probably the most important thing you do is the staff that you hire. And right away, he came in and, and he's built a staff that's um, diverse, and I mean diverse across multiple dimensions. It's age. I mean, you got everybody from Paul Westhoff and the type of experience he has to Davis Webb. Um, diverse backgrounds from different coaching trees, perspectives. All that, and that's probably been the most impressive thing. Wow. So, I mean, he says he sets a different tone right off the jump. So, playtime is over, whatever the heck that Nathaniel Hackett guy was doing, who, by the way, Greg Penner did not hire. That was George Payton who hired him, and to some extent the Pat Bowlen Trust that approved it. And also, just going on and on about how these assistants are actually competent. This isn't just Nathaniel Hackett's buddies. He's got guys from Westoff to Davis Webb. He's got a 75-year-old to a 28-year-old. I thought that was Greg Penner's way of saying, Sean Payton knows what he's doing. He knows how to build a culture. We're going to let him do his thing. Look at the staff he's already assembled. And that last guy, who, oh, by the way, I didn't hire, he didn't know what the heck he was doing. Well, yeah, and part of building a culture when you're looking at your coaching staff is not putting together a bunch of yes-men. And if you're the first guy in your group to get the head coaching gig and you hire all your buddies, none of them are going to come in and say, what are you doing here? Like, that's the wrong way to go in part because they don't know that it's the wrong way to go. And aside from when they they did hire Dom Capers last year as a consultant, so to speak, but clearly he was, you know, one veteran voice amongst a bunch of guys that were essentially at the highest position they'd had. I think Clint Kubiak was the only coach on that staff who'd ever had a higher position than he had last year. Wow, that's a great, great little nugget. So I think that certainly is, is a smarter way to put together a, a, a coaching staff. I think the uh, the story the Athletic had about how Brian Dayball put together his a year ago where he went and talked to people that he had never worked with before just trying to find the best coaches, I think that's great. You can say what you want about VJ, and I get it. He was a, a failure here as a head coach. But the fact that he's he's not just somebody Sean Payton worked with at some point, yes. you know, two or three stops ago, it was, okay, we talked to a bunch of different people. And I don't care if he's your second option, third option, first option, whatever. He is somebody that was outside of your circle that you're bringing in. And more of those kind of voices, more people to tell you, no, this isn't the right way to do it. Now, ultimately, they can't be um, insubordinate. You're the boss. You still get the final say. But sometimes that is good to have somebody to tell you, no, I got a different perspective on this. Whereas last year, it was all a bunch of it was the it was the classic example of groupthink a year ago. And I think this staff will avoid that because of the diverse group of them and just the the vast experience that they have. Like, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Right. Greg Penner also asked by Andrew Mason, by the way, this was Mason's question, about what he's learned in his seven and a half months as the owner. A lot of interesting stuff in here. But listen to the end because he takes another shot at Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, yeah, lots of learnings in the last uh, seven and a half months. Um, One is just how passionate our fans are, uh, how much they want to win. The last seven years have been, last seven seasons have been been tough. Um, 
you know, but at the end of the day, probably the biggest learning, and, and we saw this fall, is it comes back to we've got to have the right people in place. We need the right culture. We've got to set expectations. We need accountability. And um, I think with hiring Sean Payton, we're, we're teed up to be um, a very different team next year. <laughs> a very different team next year because of Sean Payton. Right people in place, right fit, right culture. Like how many different ways can you tell me, Greg, that Nathaniel Hackett was a mess and you saw it, that's why you fired him after 15 games, the shortest stint in Broncos history. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it was they did a lot of things correctly. Right, like they didn't, they didn't hire Nathaniel Hackett, and I get it. He's one of the, it's one of the quickest firings in modern NFL history. But one of the keys to being successful in business is if you're going to fail, fail fast. Right, though you're not always going to be on the right path. But when you're on the wrong path and it's clear you're on the wrong path, get the heck off of it. Sure, staying on it for Elway knew he was thinking about firing VJ after year one. He should have done it. That second year was a total waste of everyone's time. That was the infamous slept on it thing. Yeah. It's which like, was, man, if you really needed to sleep on it, you probably should have had your gut telling you what the right call was. So they made the quick decision, and it was the right decision because they knew it was painfully obvious, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you hire a guy that is 180 degrees, right? He's experienced. He's has a track record. He is, I mean, you've heard it from the, the Sean Payton sound bites, right? He's much more of a... Old school, don't care if I don't care if I ruffle feathers versus don't want to make anybody mad, including the Raiders and the Chiefs Ugh. and everybody else. I, I think the way they've gone about this has been about as well as you can do it. Now it doesn't mean it's going to lead to a twelve win season and they're going to the AFC title game, but I, I think if you're a fan in Broncos country, you have to be excited about a lot of things this organization has done since the Walton Penner family ownership group took over. The way they handled the coaching situation. We got rid of the mess when we saw it was a mess, and we went in and brought somebody who – there's an adult in the room now, and if yeah. anybody can clean it up, this guy can clean it up. And then what they did in free agency of, hey, we don't have a lot of draft picks, so there's only one way to patch holes. we got to spend money. Fine. Here's my checkbook. Let's go spend money. I don't know what you could be upset about with, with Greg Penner and company if you're a Broncos fan. I have no idea. Well, and Greg Penner talked about today, he said, listen, our strategy moving forward – is going to be in the draft, but because of the lack of draft capital, we had to spend big in free agency, and we like the players we got. He may have gotten his talking points from Broncos PR. He may have. But, James, it was the most football savvy I have heard that man sound. And to me, it sounded like a guy who's learning on the job and learning on the job quickly. It was like, okay, he just made a statement that could have come from a GM, and he made it his owner. And, again, someone could have fed him that line, but the way he delivered it's like, Okay, he's starting to understand the game more and more of, like, we only have five draft picks, so if we want to be anywhere near competitive this year, we got to go spend $230 million. You know, and I'm sure you've had this experience. I'm sure most of the people listening have had this experience where you're you're on a, you're at a job, and I don't know, you get a few months into it, maybe it takes a couple of years, whatever, and you're in a meeting or you're home for the holidays and somebody asks you about it, and you say something, and you're like, whoa, where did, where did that come from? Right. Like, Man, I'm just I'm you know regurgitating the talking points here, and it just comes natural. I, I think that's what has happened. He's sort of learned it by osmosis, so to speak. And Greg Penner is a sharp guy, and if he wants to learn football, he can learn football by being around good football people and paying attention and taking mental notes and actual notes. And clearly, you don't accidentally say something like that and have it sound so natural. 
unless you are engaged with what's going on. Exactly. There's no way. You would sound like a robot reading a script and it would come across like, you know, you put the you put the emphasis on the wrong word right. in the sentence kind of thing. Or you're his father-in-law and you call him Roger Goodall. Exactly. Exactly. Because you know what? He's not plugged into it. No. Greg P- Penner clearly is. That is a sharp guy who is learning and learning quickly. Today, he's a... He's always there. You go. He's always sounded smart to me. Today he sounded like a football owner, and I thought that was an encouraging sign. But coming up next, he did talk about expectations in 2023. His answer a little bit surprising. Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. James Merrill, Will Peterson. One more segment. Uh, James, the big news in the last hour or so is that the NFL has announced that teams can now have two Thursday night football games per season. The limit was one that has changed to two. Uh, Flexing for Thursday night football is not happening for now. That had been a discussion of could you flex out of a Sunday to a Thursday late in the year, whatever. But uh, the amount of players quote tweeting the tweets, including Justin Simmons, unhappy with this news are a lot. What you would expect. These guys hate playing one Thursday night game, and now some of the better teams in the league may have to play two. That's unfortunate news for for players around the league. Okay, based on their reaction is what I'm saying. Well, sure. They're also this reminds me of when we're in the middle of COVID. The NFL's actually figuring out a way to put a season on, right? Like, everybody wanted them to cancel the draft, and everybody wanted them to cancel free agency, and, you know, all the people who just wanted to run around, like, oh, the world should stop. It's a bad look that Graham Glasgow is signing a four-year, $40 million deal. That's a bad look no matter what's going on in the world. Then they get to the fact that they're getting through the season. There were a couple of hiccups, one of which was, remember, the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Dolphins had to rotate some games because the Patriots had a... COVID outbreak. I do remember that. And the Broncos lost their bye week. Yes, you're right. Okay. Because everyone always thinks of the tracker with Drew Locke and Blake Bortles and all that. This was earlier in the year. That was another, yeah, hurdle. And okay, is that perfectly convenient? No, of course not. You know what? Nobody at that point in life was going through anything remotely convenient. So just suck it up and say, you know what? Okay, we'll go play wherever you want to go play. It was a sign of that team you know why that team's lost so many games in the last six years? It's because it's it, they didn't have the mentality of, listen, you, you tell us we're playing in the King Supers parking lot, let me know what time. That's what winning teams do. Bad teams gripe and complain about the fact that they lost their trip to Cabo and don't have a bye week. That's what a lot of this comes across to me. Is it ideal that you play on a Thursday night? No. But if you get a second one, you know what that means, Justin Simmons? means your team doesn't suck, and people actually want to watch you again on national TV. All right, well, to be fair to Justin, Patrick Mahomes has also chimed in on this. Okay. Darius Slay has also chimed in on okay. this. Last time I checked, they played each other in the Super Bowl, and they don't like it either. Okay, well, you know what I, those two guys do like? Big, fat paychecks. And you know how you get big, fat paychecks? It ain't from the people who show up in the stands very much. It comes from all these TV partners willing to spend millions and millions and billions over the course of the TV deal. And so if Amazon wants to write a big fat check and not have it be Indianapolis versus Houston 
in week 16 and they'd rather have Kansas City versus Buffalo, mm-hmm. I'll bet you want to get your, your revenue share of a bigger a bigger pie. Like you can't, it's literally you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't want the revenue pie to be as big as possible so your revenue share is as big as possible, so your salary is as big as possible, but then gripe and complain about what has to be done in order to make that pie as big as possible. This is... It, it irritates me. It drives me nuts. All right. Well, Just show up and play. That's one of the updates from the meetings down in Arizona, that uh, teams can now play two Thursday night games, as multiple texters have pointed out on the Ramoslaw.com text line, 303-713-1043. No one wants to see the Broncos in primetime. They will not have to worry. Likely, we don't know the schedule yet, about playing two Thursday night games, but we'll see. So little snark coming in at uh, 6.52. But I want to close with Greg Penner on expectations for this season, and I don't expect him to come out and say we want to win the Super Bowl, but maybe saying we want to make the playoffs would have gotten fans fired up. Let's hear from him, and then I want James's thoughts on how he handled the question. I, you know, for me, the expectation and and uh, Rob and carrying the rest of our ownership group is around the right process and the right approach and the right culture. It's not necessarily around we have an expectation of X number of wins or Y number of wins and. One thing that I'm that we're really confident in is that we're going to take the right approach and we will have the right expectations of our, our staff and our players. Well, Greg doesn't want to put a win total on it, James. Uh, okay. Like it or hate it? I hate it. And look, what he says is actually probably right because you're much better off to have the right process in place and end up with a, a, a smaller win total this year as long as you're doing things and you're doing them the right way, that's going to pay off over the long haul. Rather than you do, you're do, you doing things wrong, but you catch lightning in a bottle, it, it's a mirage. You have 12 wins this year, but it's a mess and it's not sustainable, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what it he's does. saying is is fine, but I am from the generation where I got to watch Pat Bolin own this team his, through his entire tenure, and I liked Pat Bolin talking to Woody Page every year and saying, we're going to go 19-0. and mm. Obviously, he didn't really mean it, right? No team has ever done it, but that was the expectation. It was Super Bowl or bust every single year. If I was the owner, my mentality would be Super Bowl or bust. That would be it. And I don't care if we've had six straight losing seasons and seven years in a row without going to the playoffs. Our ex- what I want to hear from the owner is our expectation is to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, we spent the whole last segment praising Greg, and he had a lot of good answers today. That one was... More out of the corporate playbook. Yeah, that, that answer was dreadful. Yeah, more of the cliches, and we're all about culture here at Walmart. It's like, no, you're about selling products. And here at the Denver Broncos, you should be about winning football games. Yeah. And he had other answers about winning and how it was tough for the fans. Like, again, he pretty much nailed this presser today, but that was the one that when I listened to all of them kind of jumped out to me. as like, could have done a little better there. I wonder if Walmart misses their Q1 earnings goal, if it's going to be... Yeah, I don't care. How was the process? Was the process good? Right. No, it's going to be, what was the number? That's what matters. It's a results-oriented business, Greg. It's all about wins and losses. You can go ahead and set high expectations. That's okay. It's Denver. That's what we're used to around this place. No nuggets, no abs tonight. What are you going to do? I don't know. I got to figure. You know what? I got to catch up on full swing. I'm so far behind on that. That's, oh, that's, what's, that's what's up for me. I'm only on episode four. All right. Well, enjoy it. Good job, KJ. For James, for Will, Denver Sports Station, 104.3, The Fan.